Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. Joe, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest on a Culture of Kindness podcast. Um, it seems so apt, doesn't it, really, with everything that you do with it with regards to mental health and particularly around the story of bullying um, within your youth, but also that conversation that you continue to promote. Um, and so a culture of kindness is everything that you're doing, but just with a different narrative. Maybe you could share with people who may not have come across you, which I'd be very surprised because you've got a huge following, um, about your mental health journey and and wh- where, how did you get to the point, obviously squashing it down a little bit, because I'm sure that you could talk about it for a long time, but what, wh- how you got to where you are now? Yeah, so my journey started from a very young age. Um, I'm autistic. Um, I've got Asperger's and ADHD. Um, I'm all, I've also got mixed personality disorder, which a lot of people get that confused with like schizophrenia. Um, but that's like emotionally unstable, like where I guess the chemical imbalance in my brain, I struggle to control certain things. And uh, when I was in school from pro- early years in primary school, I was left out. I was alone and I was isolated and I was bullied because I was different and because there's no education awareness really back then when I was in primary school and stuff like autism. Um, you can't blame children, young people for being scared when they see differences without being educated and without having the awareness out there. But what this did is it led on to me getting physically bullied. Um, I was beaten up. Uh, you know, verbally abused, uh, and then obviously social media coming about. And as I got older, it followed me everywhere I went online, and it got worse uh, into secondary school. And with my physical health conditions, on top of diabetic as well, it was hard to kind of control both of them. And I started using my own medication and other needs, uh, and I made many attempts at my own life Mm. now the support 
wasn't out there like I said the education understanding and awareness and until you get to a certain age you can't get diagnosed with certain things like mixed personality I can't get diagnosed until you're over the age of 18 so I had numerous different diagnoses coming along so cyclothymia bipolar and this and that and you just you know so you don't get the right support from the early age which is I think you and anyone that listens to this would agree is actually really detrimental to someone's development and well-being and when I say well-being that's um you know healthy lifestyle that's mental health physical health um so I was always alone I had no friends at all I couldn't even go to the the toilet in school because I'd get beaten up in a toilet cubicle like it was it was awful and there were so many things that had happened that there's things that I still haven't told anyone to this day because you still go through that bit of processing and I'm still in therapy Mm. um, at the moment but uh, when I I used to I think because my autism I needed real life um, things I I never watched cartoons it had to be kind of based on real life with real people and I used to watch a lot of films with about Martin Luther King and different events that used to inspire me and what inspired me most about Martin Luther King, which is how I started my journey, was how he stood up against the masses and, you know, the with everything the black community went through, he stood up and he gave them a voice and he wanted to make change. And you hear the I Had a Dream speech. And I used to put my experiences and stand up in front of a mirror and do my own I had a dream speech so what had happened to me in negatively but what I'd want to change to make things better that would be my dream mm-hmm. so when I was 12 I got into volunteering at a youth cafe which a lot of my bullies went to and with the autism the social communication that was very scary for me and uh, I had to this sounds really bad I had to teach myself how to not be autistic almost. Um, And what I mean by that is I had to put myself into situations which I really struggled with Mm. to overcome them. And I think that's normal with everyday life with everyone. Yeah. That's not just people with autism, but, Mm. you know, that was extremely scary. And what was also scary about that was a lot of the people that bullied me went to this youth cafe and this gave young people something to do, somewhere to go and something to talk to. But it also put me on a platform where I was in charge. So actually, I had more of a say than they did. If they were going to be mean to me, then they can go. But it also gave me the platform to get them to understand me, not just follow the crowd, follow suit. Mm. Talk to me. I could talk to them. And that helped a lot. And then I became part of the steering group and then worked with so many different organisations. Um, and, yeah, I won numerous awards. So my first award, I, I had 53 volunteering opportunities that I was doing all at once. And, uh, I mean, that even surprised me. I remember going to collect this award and I was like, they were still reading it as I was walking off. I was like, this is quite bad. And I also used overworking as my therapy to kind of not think about 
my own thoughts because I didn't want to. And that's where I found my purpose, which is helping people. So social media started coming about. And when I was 13, I started off stand up, speak out. And that was because I, I realized no one was openly talking about their experiences on social media or in the public. Like it was still very quiet, even with the awareness days that we had. Mm. So from my perspective as an autistic person, as someone that has struggled, as someone that was being bullied, um, I spoke about it and I started this platform and that went global. So all of a sudden, um, that went global with Sunita, James Arthur, um, Prince William, Richard Branson. Um, and all of a sudden I went from this, how I felt at the time, this nobody to a somebody that all of a sudden people were listening to. And then I was in national and international press and radio, TV, which I then struggled with because it was yeah, I imagine. So different. And then my following kept growing every day. Um, uh, then I did some work with the Home Office, the National Council for Voluntary Youth Services. Um, and with the Home Office, it was to develop a toolkit for people on the spectrum to have accessible ways to communicate if they were being bullied, if they were struggling, that was easy for them because those tools weren't about. Mm. And, you know, I went to Parliament. I was a member of Youth Parliament, talk about change. And I just did so many other things on top of that. Um, And I won an award, uh, so the Princess Diana Award um, and many others. And then went to do more and more and more. And then I was on on TV. I was in Waterloo Road as an extra all of a sudden. I was on the celebrity panel of The Extra Factor, like living this life. Mm. that was a bit surreal but things got too much I think because I kept running and I couldn't think about all these things that were going on and I was still getting bullied obviously I was getting hate on social media as you do when you put yourself out there in the public eye you do get some horrible people that will go out of their way to cause as much pain as they can behind the screen Mm. um and I went into a psychiatric unit after numerous attempts at my life. Um, I was very close. Uh, difficult for my family. I was put into care, which then had more challenges. Um, and yeah, that carried on and on. And in care, I was beaten up in the first care home I went to. Uh, and it was horrible and social services weren't listening. So... I was, it was at night and I jumped in front of a car on the M1 on the motorway. And uh, luckily that car was an unmarked police car. Mm. Um, I was tackled to the ground. I was cuffed and put on a 136, which is a mental health act section. And uh, when I went and had the assessment, they said, you didn't kill yourself, go away. Wow. Um, But after that, social services started to listen but children in care weren't being listened to there was a lot of failings in that sense so I started off a children in care forum and a care leavers council which gave children in care and care leavers the opportunity to have their voices heard mm. uh, and really make the change that needed to be made 
So uh, that got bigger and bigger, developed a social work academy. So instead of just becoming a social worker and going into the job, you had to get interviewed by young people, which is scary. But if you can't talk to young people directly, you're not ready to be a social worker. And they had to do the training uh, from the young people, which they would then understand how whatever decisions they would make in the job, how that would affect them. And uh, I always said, like, why don't we run social services as as a charity? Because there was so much misspending in the county council. um, Wasn't any support services for children uh, and young people in care. And uh, so now my charity stand out. It's, uh, it's the first charity of its kind ever in Europe. Um, and it runs uh, half of social services as a charity. And that provides trauma-informed approaches. We're working on building new care homes with the right staff, with the right approaches to meet specific needs. Um, I'm a Kidscape ambassador. Uh, I, Kidscape helped me when I was younger, and I'm just about to become a director for them. So they're the longest running anti-bullying charity. Mm-hmm. And we can do more stuff around bullying and mental health. You know, how both of them interlink, actually, is, you know, as you go into an adult, the experiences you have if you're being bullied, mm-hmm. they don't go away. It's not like a cut that will heal over time. Mm-hmm. They're bruises inside and memories that stay with you for life. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, an organisation in America. I run different charities. I could go on. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it short and sweet. Um, yeah, it's absolutely, Joe. Your your work is astonishing. And can I just confirm? It was after you had the incident on the M1 where you stepped out in front of the car after the the kind of the awards, the fame, the you know, being seen on TV. It was after that that you did that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was very close to going into that at the time anyway, but the lack of beds, the lack of units available. um, And it it took a long time. Um, Mm. But yeah, that that caused a lot. And you see stuff like Love Island, you know, we see it more and more now on TV where we've got these reality TV shows that people would apply to. They'll be like, they'll get the fame and then this money, but actually they, they can't take it because these support measures afterwards aren't in place to kind of coach you through. And this is where Sunita was really helpful when I was, when I was younger, cause she helped, she guided me through this weird journey that I was going through. Like it was very different. And she taught me just to, what I should say, how to give myself time learning to say no and uh, that was that was really helpful and one of the psychiatric units I went into it was the first one um, they actually almost killed me twice they refused to give me my diabetic medication so my insulins um, and they refused to call an ambulance when I was in DKA literally dying on my bed and it wasn't until a parent had actually come in and heard me screaming in pain they'd locked the doors she called an ambulance and uh, I was blue lighted to hospital. I was on life support. I was in intensive care for six weeks. Um, and then when I was discharged, they did it again two days later. <laughs> and uh, 
I think I lost four stone in the space of four weeks. I was so ill and I've had DKAs caused like self-harm wise, but nothing that bad. And I can, I'm talking about, I can remember the pain that I was in. I had, I had no energy at all. I was so weak. I was so close to dying. My pH levels were 0.1 away from me, like just my organs shutting down completely. Everything was failing. Um, and that hospital put me on a section so they couldn't take me out. And then it was getting me a bed closer to home, which my mum and dad did work tirelessly to try and help with. And they got me closer. Um, and they, this was difficult for them. You know, I wasn't an easy child with everything that was going on. Yeah. Um, and I think when I started getting bigger in the public eye, I think they started to worry really like, what was going uh, what that was going to do to me mm. also part of my condition I don't remember a lot of my childhood I can remember a lot of the trauma and a lot of the bad but there's also a lot of blank points which I, I try and figure out but I can't mm. so it's difficult but I, I just feel like I need to use my experiences to make something better and I won't stop until I do that mm. and I, I was delivering safeguarding training with the um, child protection unit in Northamptonshire when I was a kid I was having days off school to go and deliver like child protection safeguarding training I've got myself trained up I'm a trained medic so I do voluntary cardiac response and advanced medical response for the NHS if there's no ambulances yeah um and I just, I just want to make a difference. And I, that, my purpose began from my struggles and from watching Martin Luther King. Yeah, it's an incredible journey that you've been on. How, you know, we, and when you touched on social media there and, you know, I, Jonathan Benjamin, who's also an advocate for mental health, who's been on the uh, show, did a post last week about... He, like you, posts a lot of positive stuff, you know, stuff that's going to support people and help them. And uh, what he got was this kind of abusive message about that he was spreading darkness and, you know, just completely irrelevant, actually, to what he does deliver into the world. And um, but those mental health challenges don't go away because yeah. you're doing good work they sit with you and they you know when people talk about that kind of name calling it is you might as well be smacked in the face really because it's yeah. it's the same you know it's just it's not it's the same, but it's yeah it's horrendous but you've got this huge social media following how have you battled with that because you've got this social media following and you know that you do good by it yet there's this side that it doesn't help you I imagine no you'll always it's so common I think with everyone that is in the same kind of field as myself you do get those that think you're just spreading darkness all the time and whatever and social media companies, it's all very um, finance motivated, money orientated. So they haven't, they still haven't 
put measures in place to actually protect people. We're seeing more and more of the harmful content that's, you know, especially throughout the pandemic, children and eating disorders went, it skyrocketed. And I suffer from an eating disorder. Mm. Being a man, and that's not spoken about much, um, but it's so dangerous. How I've kind of learned to cope with it, and you do get some funny replies, whatever hate, I get, I mean, I have an auto reply that comes up to if people message my Facebook page, because once you get the blue ticks um, that on your social media, yeah. you tend to get more hate as well, because for some reason, a blue tick, a verified profile makes everyone jealous. It doesn't actually change anyone. It's just a little tick. It's amazing, um, isn't it? It's amazing the reaction of people. I'm astonished. It's ridiculous. Uh, I, I didn't like ask for this like it's been put on my name that's fine and yeah it helps it helps actually grow the message and people know that if they need help and support they can always message me and they're safeguarded appropriately so I'll always have the policies and safeguarding um, policies that come up when people message me just so they know that everything's confidential to a point mm. unless their life or someone else is in mm. I feel is in immediate risk yeah or danger and anyone that gives hate I battle that with kindness I just spread a kind message back um I've been called so many names there was one guy that messaged me the other day and it was horrible and I was like well thank you for thank you for your opinion I appreciate it I hope you've had a lovely Monday um have a great week all the best yeah and it was like huh yeah 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 and you, you do kind of laugh back. because they're, yeah. they're expecting you to fight back. And a lot of these people do. I think they look for the reaction. This is, you know, bullying. They want that reaction. But also you have to look on the other side. And a lot of the work I do with Kidscape is actually those that bully in school. Normally when we look at it and you have to look at the bigger picture, and this is what we need to get teachers trained in and all professionals and even children, young people. There's a bigger picture where something's normally going on in their home life. Mm. And although it's not right what they're doing, it comes from trauma a lot of the time where they're having to try and scare other people so they don't get anything else directed at them because they're scared of what might happen. Mm. And that's also why people follow the crowd. And it's not right, but there's a bigger picture to it. So it's about looking at that, seeing if, someone needs safeguarding in school if they're bullying a young person what's mm. the home life like mm. um so uh yeah you know battle hate with kindness absolutely it, it works every time and it will you know sometimes you'll get bad messages you don't have to make don't message back afterwards just send a really nice message and it confuses them and you do laugh at some of the replies but i've had a lot of people that have ha had a couple of days to mill over kind of what they've said and thought about my reply. And I've got apologies. Yeah. It's like people in school now who I was with, I get a lot of apologies back because they read some of the press articles. And sometimes it's to try and get tickets to this or that, whatever it might be, maybe yeah. their own gain. But it's, they start realizing actually the effect it's had on me and how actually these horrible things that people do to other people mm. 
words can kill actions can kill we've yeah. seen it a lot and i could have i could have quite easily died many times and i was very close to that point luckily it didn't happen but you know what your actions could take someone's life and you don't want that on your conscience yeah i mean it's so i mean i'm still and i'm sure anybody who's listening to this must still be in sat there open-mouthed i imagine from you sharing the story of you not receiving your diabetes meds and you going into hospital for six weeks because of it and and somebody having to hear you screaming out in pain for somebody to react now there are so many things that are, are wrong with that um but fundamentally unkindness is at the root cause of that because Mm -hmm. they didn't stand in your shoes and go what are the what are the issues treat everybody as an individual what have we got here they're reacting off something else wrong staff are employed the staff don't have the training Uh, the social care sector is it's too easy to get into Mm -hmm. and we I've seen it numerous times um i went to a job not long ago when there was so it it actually scared me mm. like being in a home and seeing so much wrongdoing there was violence aggression and it you know it's the wrong job it's too easy to get into the training is literally sitting down classroom base pretty much with you know just the standard support worker or whatever you're going into and the nhs the mental health system outsource and give money to these businesses to run these units without checking them and it's literally just an easy way for them just to send people to different beds and this is why the nhs uh the mental health system is also failing it's underfunded undertrained the understanding of the neurosciences now yeah. we're not following these new approaches which should be taken mm. and that unit has been closed down now um they did um uh, my father actually went up there and asked the questions and he uh, he recorded it and they did admit it mm. and they were quite shocked actually mm. um and there there was many stories of that place uh, and i remember so many people someone tried to hang themselves mm. there were people on the floor crying and that none of the staff did anything i went over to so many people and it was you weren't allowed to have a hug you weren't allowed to touch something but actually at the time of someone in crisis who's in a unit a secure unit as well it's a scary 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 place yeah um it, people just want to hug and it was just talking it was a lot of us were supporting one another, but the amount of times I'd gone in or and seen something that I did not want to see, um, but someone had to do something, it was, it's scary. And I'd like to say things are getting better, but they're not. No. We've got a lack of beds and we're still outsourcing 
to companies which should not be allowed to provide a service and CQC either take ages to listen or they just fob it off. it's, it's awful. And the amount of people that I've met in psych units who have taken their own life in there or afterwards, um, it's quite shocking. And, uh, you know, like recently my friend taking her own life and you know, today's the anniversary of another friend that took her own life a year ago. And uh, it's upsetting, you know, um, but I think for those that I know I, I want to push on, I want to carry on what I'm doing and try and really try and make change. Mm. And that's difficult when you're just one person. But I think the great thing with social media and my reach, like my Facebook reach is three, three million a day. Even when I don't post, there are people still going on it. Mm. Um, but that gets people involved in the conversation and you can really spread a message but with me and my ADHD it's like which message do I want to yeah. go down yeah. and you find yourself doing six different things at once yeah. and I've never been paid for anything I do on this side I've always done it for free mm. um, but I've done some amazing things like helping start ITV's Britain Get Talking throughout the pandemic you know that was a great thing and I'm so happy that they did that mm. um, and keeping that conversation flowing and yeah. that's what needs to happen you you mentioned before we came on it before we started recording we talked about your friends that uh, died last week of suicide and um but you actually talked about that there were 31 people in a very really a very short space of time since you've been doing this work that had um that have died of suicide I mean, that 31 people, for, and I know that you work in that world and in that sector, but for me, yeah. I but, know personally. It's... Yeah, like I, I don't see that there is a less, that this is lessening off, that people are struggling more and more with just that, being able to cope with the things that life, throws at them it's not even necessarily about a mental health challenge such as ADHD or it's actually about I don't have a diagnosed issue but I'm just not able to cope with life and this is tough I don't have the coping mechanisms do you see solutions on the horizon coming for that or I mean I, I listened to the parliamentary debate last week on children's mental health week and you know, what we need to do in the UK is work on prevent. Mm. We need to prevent things from happening. If you go to a hospital in France, and I always use this, if you have a stroke in France and you live out there, within an hour they'd have diagnosed it, put a stent in, keep you in for a couple of days. But what they do after that is they send you away on a two-week course away mm. from home to teach you how to live a healthier lifestyle to prevent a stroke from happening and working on that the their statistics are so much better than here and it's like when you look at the Netherlands with their criminal justice system how they rehabilitate it's not just locking people up in a cell 
actually their their reoffending rates are one percent. Mm. In the UK, we've got a ninety percent reoffending rate, the highest in the world, yeah. which is awful. And all these things, you know, mental health being one of them. When you talk about the diagnostic criteria, there's too mu- too many things that you need to meet for a diagnosis. It's too difficult to get one, and people don't want to listen. But we we also need to work on the terminology. I think one of the main reasons, and I'm so glad this was discussed in Parliament last week, when people are feeling sad, everyone has the emotion of feeling sad, and it's not a nice emotion, but we need to start, uh, and GPs need to start putting it down as depression, because depression is clinical. This is caused by a chemical imbalance. It's that is an illness and something which is a lot different to being sad. Yeah. But what it's doing, people do sometimes use it as a way to get a sick note to get off work. And I do think if you need time off work for self-care, because, you know, we need to get employees to do that, but Mm -hmm. it's clogging up the system. So people aren't able to get this help and support they need. And especially females, you know, you look at the female diagnostic criteria when it comes to, um, autism or bipolar or whatever it's so much difficult because females are typically better at masking because of you know it's a it's a hard world in schools you do have to females mask a lot more uh, but men do as well because it's obviously that male toxicity which i talk about a lot but yeah, there's a lot that needs to change. But like I said earlier, there's so much more understanding than the neurosciences behind different mental illnesses, the diagnostic criteria, the therapeutic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to work on that long-term fix, not just giving people antidepressants, which in the pandemic, there was a 65% rise in God. six months of being in lockdown of people being prescribed antidepressants. And they make things worse. Yeah. Two to four weeks, suicidal ideation increases. And without that support alongside, people take their own life because of that suicidal ideation, because of medication. And it's so, so, so dangerous. Mm. Therapy, people do put it down. You know, not everything works for everyone. There are different things that work we need to work on this long-term approach and I always thought therapy was a bit useless to be fair but I I have to say the therapy that I'm in now and it's there's a lot and it's long-term but it's really really helped me and you've got to be be at a stage where you want that help as well Mm. but uh, I mean it is difficult yeah I, I couldn't agree more with you about the sadness you know I and I started this conversation 10 years ago and my partner had died and I was completely like on my knees. I was completely just not able to cope with life. And um, our local doctors was aware because he died suddenly of a heart attack. And so the hospital had got in touch with them. So when I called up, they said, sorry. Uh, oh, thank you. And, uh, when I called them up and said, I, I'm not coping, like I, I actually can't cope. And I went into the doctors and the doctor said, 
there's nothing we can do, but we can prescribe you something. And I had the foresight to go, I'm sad. I, I am desperately sad, but there is not a tablet that's going to fix that. And, and I was searching for something that our medical system does not provide. And it was more than just talking. It was, and I kind of started to figure it out for myself. Understanding the grief, isn't it? It is. It's this immense grief that I started to, I mean, I was able to, but physical therapy in terms of massage and head massage. And I mean, I was in a fortunate position. I could afford that. But there will be people who go through grief who can't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a a mother who allowed me to talk to her, ranting and crying, and she just was present. You know, she didn't try and fix it. She didn't say, oh, it'll get better with time. You know, and very fortunate because a lot of people in that situation and I can remember doing a talk recently in the last six months to the NHS and uh, we were talk and, and they, I was actually talking about kindness, but I had shared the story of my journey and somebody had picked up on that whole kind of grief story. And they said to me, what would you advise somebody who was going through that now? And I said, you've got you to talk and you've got to keep repeating and literally do exactly what you need to do in those moments. Because too often, I think we spend our life in, this is certainly the journey for grief. You know, it's while well, you go back to work within a few days, so bizarre, mm-hmm. um, you, uh, when you've lost somebody who's very close, you know, people who've lost children. I mean, I just can't even imagine for a moment. Um, and there is that there is that missing piece in the NHS, I think, of the human approach because desperately we're trying to tick boxes. And while we're ticking boxes, we're also not supporting people in the right no, way. And it's pharmaceutical companies are getting money. Yeah. You know, this is a big business as well which it shouldn't be people's lives shouldn't be a business yeah Um, there's a lot more things out there now like uh, groups to deal with grief Um, like I met a lady when I was uh, because I was on the son's mental health heroes Um, and uh, when we went to the awards um, there was a lady there that had started off um, an organization and it was for people who are grieving yeah and like you said it's it grieving affects people differently and I just the other the other week you know I I say these things but you do forget it in the time you become very almost like in a bubble yeah but then you have to remember and I I was my partner said like what would you tell someone Mm. and that to me, I, I spoke about it and then I was like, why am I not using that? And actually it was after that, I started to cry and I, I, I gave myself time to, <clears throat> to have time away from work to allow myself time because you yeah. should be. And, you know, it, 
yeah, some people might cope better keeping themselves busy going to work, but it's actually the understanding of that's fine, go to work, but also talk about it. Yeah. Have a cry. Yeah. And workplaces being aware, talk to your employer if you want to go back, let them know the situation. Yeah. And then being understanding and having that training as well if mm. someone that works in their company organization is going through grief mm. to help deal with that because it shouldn't be a journey where you have to deal with that alone you do need someone else there as well because it's yes. a very scary thing you start to think about your your life and how short life can be you know we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow no. No. and it took me back to my own struggles you know every time but yeah. It's, it's such a difficult thing when, you know, we've got to uh, the term recovery when it used with grief um, or mental illness. I've I actually told my therapist off in the group the other day for using the term recovery because mm. you never recover from stuff like this. Mental illness, you never mm. recover. Trauma, you never fully recover. It's mm. not like a broken leg where... Mm. In time, that recovers, the bones knit back together, you'll be walking again or whatever. Actually, it's in a, the sense that you don't recover from that. It's learning how to move on in a healthy way and how to live with the grief or the trauma that you've mm. gone through mm. um, without it having a detrimental impact on you anymore, but also keeping those good memories alive. Mm. You know, living with grief, realizing you've got all these good memories, it's mm -hmm. sad, um, but you can get past it. And it just, it, it, it does really annoy me when people say, oh, you'll be fine, you'll get over it. Ooh. Because you don't. <laughs> you don't get over it. The pain is always still there, but it's learning to Grow battle away. through that pain and use that pain to remember the good memories. Mm. And, uh, no, it's not nice. No. We um, there's every, people in our lives that we just want to hug again that we won't get that chance to. But you know, it's uh, yeah. there's a there's it, a lot. Yeah, there is a lot, Joe. Uh, I mean, we've we've got a slightly longer episode today. I I don't care, but it's um, what an incredible story. Uh, incredibly kind of you to share it. I think there are so many gems and hidden takeaways within all of the stories that you said that people will go wow um you know they can relate it into their own lives I think when people are looking and standing in the shoes of somebody else um they'll remember this podcast as they've listened to you today I certainly will um and uh, you've given us so much to think about and certainly so we will put the notes in so people can follow you as well but you have your own website so people will be able to find you there and, yeah, and type in joe plum on google and you'll see yeah yeah come up alongside some very cringy music covers <laughs> don't <laughs> ask um when i was younger i got that opportunity and i wish it never happened but hey ho it's all on there but, no, you know, it's good. We have my to... inboxes are always open. You know, the point of what I do as well is to try and ensure that no one feels alone. And if it's yeah. a message on social media, if that's what makes you feel better, then yeah. just 
pop me a message and uh, whatever you're going through, we can work through it together. You know, we're, we're all stronger together. I, I always ask this at the end, Joe, to the podcast is what does a culture of kindness mean to you? The world, really. Uh, you know, with kindness is so simple. If we look back to the first lockdown, and I will give this, it looks like the first lockdown, the sun shining. And how many times did we, there were people that would never talk. No one would usually say hello or have a conversation with you. But in the first lockdown, the sun was shining. It was beautiful weather. Uh, birds were singing, going for walks and people just saying hello and talking to you. Yeah. And it made me smile. It was one of those things. And it was so simple. It was free. Uh, yeah. But it's a world where we can walk around with a smile and all just get on, check in on each other. And it's feeling safe, feeling loved um, and not feeling alone and wherever you go. And just a world where everyone is equal. Yeah. There's not any uh, discrimination based on you know, sex, gender, um, disability, whatever it may be, yeah. everyone is treated equally and is loved for who they are. And I think that's really, really important. Brilliant, Joe. What a beautiful way to end. Nobody has ever brought up that um, that first lockdown, and I couldn't agree more. I wrote about it in my first book and uh, my last book, and uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for highlighting it, bringing it up in your time today. It's been enlightening and inspiring. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.